Good evening. All right, so Mark asked me to continue in Galatians chapter 2. So that's where we'll be this evening, Galatians chapter 2. If you would open there with me, if you have your Bible. I did not tell Rachel that I was going to say this, but... Um, Sunday school is uh, going really well, and uh, we really appreciate all the prayers that we received in um, helping to, to run this Sunday school and making decisions about the Sunday school. It's, uh, it's been, in, you know, much greater of a blessing than I could have ever imagined um, just to be able to be a part of Sunday school. Um, and uh, one of the things is uh, Rachel was saying that uh, sometimes she's not able to fellowship with a lot of the believers here at Claremont because on Sunday she's so busy setting up, getting everything ready for the kids, uh, getting the music ready. And so then um, she feels like uh, she hasn't been able to fellowship. So uh, if you guys find the time on a Sunday morning where you feel, oh, maybe um, um, I can talk to, go talk to Rachel. She'll be right over there in the Sunday school room. Oh, so just a little ad for her there. Um, we, <laughs> we, are, uh, we are seeing um, just a, a lot of fun kids in our Sunday school, and we're going through, um, as uh, many of you, um, I gave a report about it a while ago when I spoke, but we're going through Answers in Genesis, and uh, it's, I, I've spoken to a lot of the teachers, and they're really enjoying teaching through this curriculum, teaching through, we're going through Genesis to Revelations, and there's just, you, you know, you, there's a lot of questions in this curriculum that you ask the kid to kind of spur on, or the, your group of kids, to spur on their mind about the Word of God and about the things of the Lord. And I think many of the teachers are seeing just the benefit of being able to, they don't even have to come up with the questions, the questions are there to ask as we teach the scriptures. And so uh, we've seen uh, much growth in our kids, we've seen We've heard questions from our kids. Many of the teachers say this. We've heard questions from our kids that just blow us away because it's just, it's like, where did you come up with that? But it's just them kind of criti critically thinking through the word of God. And so it's been a blessing to see that with uh, the kids our, at our Sunday school. So keep praying for them. Keep praying for their growth. Uh, pray for, uh, I mean, you know, we have so many little ones and uh, we pray for their salvation, of course, you know, first and foremost, that they would get saved at a young age. Um, and that would be, you know, wonderful news if, you know, we heard on maybe one Sunday morning, many of our kids, kids uh, making that decision to trust Christ. So pray for them. Uh, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, and let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this evening that you are a God of grace. I ask that you just be gracious towards me and my lips and the things that uh, those that are here would hear and that they would receive it uh, with grace and that they would hear from you and uh, really just love your word as they uh, listen to your word read. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 2, and we're, we'll be going through verse, verses 1 through 10. And I'll just go ahead and read it. Uh, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. 
This is, this is uh, Paul speaking here. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality, while those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. So in chapter 1 of Galatians, Paul kind of gives a timeline of his life, his conversion, and everything has, that has kind of happened, uh, just a quick vid clip of what's gone on. And he, he, we, of course, we know that on the road to Damascus, he was he, the Lord with a bright light shone, and he, he was, the Lord changed his life forever. And he became a follower of Christ, and he became an evangelist, a traveling evangelist. And as the brethren were praying and fasting over Paul and Barnabas, they were chosen to be sent out by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel and go out to the Gentiles. Though they started on their trip going northwest, and they would go on their trip, go out to Cilicia, and then they would go out to, oh, I think it's the, it's the island of Crete. And then they would head towards uh, what we would call modern-day Turkey. And they would go up to Galatia. He spends some time in Galatia. He shares the gospel there, and then he heads back. And then we see, we pick up here in chapter 2 of Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, after an interview of interval of 14 years. So I'm not exactly sure where that interval falls, whether it's including Paul's first missionary journey or not. Um, or maybe it's just the time that he arrives in Antioch, he comes back, and he gives a report to the brethren there. And he shares of all that the Lord is doing in the cities that they visited, where they share the gospel, and people were coming to know Christ as their Savior. They were understanding the gospel and its true form. And he decides to take Titus along also. So Titus is a Gentile, uncircumcised believer. He was probably taken with Paul to Jerusalem on this trip on purpose. And I think he was taken there on purpose uh, to maybe test the brethren there to see what's going on. And I, I think I'm going to explain that a little bit. In verse 2, it says, it was because of a revelation that I went up. Now, we're, it doesn't really explain 
how Paul received this revelation. It might have been, might have been just that the, the Antioch assembly kind of pushed him to go to Jerusalem because they just had dealt with this, uh, I guess you could say, argument about what to do with circumcision, whether are we supposed to circumcise these new Gentile believers or not. And they had come to the decision that it was not necessary, but they wanted to run it by sort of the, the mother church in Jerusalem. And so it says, Paul goes up to Jerusalem, and uh, there's kind of a funny thing about that is uh, Rachel likes to uh, correct me oftentimes when I'm, uh, like, when I, I'm, maybe I'm a little directionally challenged. So when I say I'm going, I always say I'm going up to you. So whether it's I'm going north, south, east, west, I always say I'm going up to you. But sometimes when I'm going south and when I'm saying I'm coming up to you, she says, no, you're not. You're going down. And, uh, but I, I showed her this passage right here. And the apostle Paul, he is going south, but he says he's going, coming up. And Rachel just said that might be just because of elevation. Uh, I'm not exactly sure the, the, the topography of that area, but... So be it. And it says that I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. So Paul had this opportunity. He went and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And now he's here in Jerusalem to kind of defend himself on the way he does it. And he does so, it says in verse 2, but I did so in private to those who are of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Now, you might ask, who are these people of reputation? Well, I think it, reputation is, these people of reputation are mentioned a few times. In verse 6, uh, I believe in verse uh, 9 as well. And it kind of, it seems to point to those that had begun the, the churches, the church in Jerusalem. It may be pointing to James. It says in verse 9, James, Cephas, and John, who were reputed to be pillars. So uh, he might be speaking of them. So he wanted to sort of have this, this meeting or this conference with these brothers. And why was it that he wanted to have this meeting? It says, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Now, automatically when I read that, I thought, you know, it's, it's like an instinct that I jumped to. Like, what, what are things that I'm doing in vain personally? Uh, what are, you know, obstacles that I'm doing where I'm not serving the Lord well. I'm not running the race well. Um, because this isn't the, Paul in his epistles, he likes to use this, uh, I guess, uh, it's like a, what is it? Uh, it's not the Olympic Games. Maybe it is Olympic Games, but it's that, that running, that athlete mentality. And he likes to, he, this is maybe the second or third time he references it in his epistles, where it talks about running. And I thought, First thing, what am I doing that's in vain for the Lord? But then when, I, when you really look into this text, when you look into the meaning of the words uh, that, are, that Paul is using here, it's actually a little bit different. And it's really, um, and I actually wonder sometimes when you read Paul, and he says things like, I'm the chief of sinners. Like, come on, Paul, seriously? Like, no, you're, I mean... I understand your past life was that, but now you're, you're in full force serving the Lord, doing everything that you can. How can you say that you're the chief of sinners? So that's one of those things like, come on, Paul. I mean, 
dial it down a bit. You're, you're over-exaggerating. But when you have to ask, what are, you, what are you really talking about, Paul? When you're reading the text and you're asking yourself, why is, he, why is this in here? Why is he saying it in this way? Why is it fear that you might be running in vain? I think uh, Paul, as he's referring to his missionary career thus far, talking about this phrase, I might be running, or in the present subject, subjunctive case, uh, the similar way of rendering it might be, lest I should be running in vain. And the idea is that Paul has been preaching the gospel of Christ to Gentiles and Jews. And he's been doing it with, I mean, it's straight gospel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way to salvation. No extra, not, nothing extra is needed. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's thinking that if there is this decision made where the law is okay to be added to the gospel of Christ, that would negate his work. That would, that would completely, really mess up everything that he's been working for up until this point. And so I think that's what he's pointing to here when he's saying, I might be running or had run in vain. And then he brings along Titus with him. And one thing is, uh, I, I just want to go back real quick. <laughs> this meeting that he has, this private meeting with these uh, reputed brothers, of brothers of these people of reputation, I think it's important that you have meetings with those uh, that are around you, maybe those that are in leadership around you. Um, I always uh, like hearing the fact that our elders have meetings, and I think it's important to have meetings and to discuss things, to be on the same page, to be in unison. And, I mean, just last Sunday, we had many of you who are involved in Awana had a meeting with Lauren. And we had a meeting to discuss all these different things that need to be done in Awana. And many of us who've been a part of Awana for years, I want to consider myself a veteran now, um, you, you kind of know what's coming up a little bit. You know, you, know, you kind of know what's going to be dealt with. But at the same time, how important is it? There's some things where you, you hear it and you think, oh, I need to, oh yeah, that's, that's right. We need to do that. Uh, we need to do a better job of that. We need to take care of that. And we kind of discuss it, come, come up with the game plan, and we're able to uh, go to Awana and be more cohesive as servants of the Lord. And I think uh, that's what Paul is trying to do here. And, it, and obviously this topic of whether... Uh, the law is added to grace or the gospel or circumcision is so important. So he, he brings along Titus. And I think it's funny that he brings along Titus because to me, I think Paul is, he's, he always has a point to what he does. And Titus is a Gentile believer. And Paul has seen, he's kind of, he was saved under Paul's ministry. And Paul, I'm sure, he, he, he's not taking Titus on accident. He's seen the life of Titus. I'm sure Titus has been a servant of the Lord who Paul has seen. I can see the Spirit of God moving in this man. And I think that's why he brought Titus along. And it says that he was not even Titus, verse 3, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So I think Paul, and I think there was this pressure on Titus when Paul brought Titus along to Jerusalem. 
Maybe there were people who came up to Titus, and maybe were about to shake his hands. Like, oh, you're a Gentile, uncircumcised. Oh, well, you might want to get circumcised. You know, there might have been people who came at you. And there's all types of pressure, you know, that you face. There may have been people that came and said, Titus, you need to be circumcised. I mean, uh, this is so important. There, who knows what kind of pressure Titus might have faced. But I think there's, there's sort of a, a triumphant way in which the Apostle Paul read. you know, it's, that's how I hear it in my head uh, when you read verse 3. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And so Paul, I think, he's saying that the Judaizers, those that would follow the law, tried, really tried to pressure Titus, but Titus successfully resisted. And moving on to verse 4, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. These false brethren, or these Judaizers, uh, they were brought in to Jerusalem as those that would try, or I mean, they were in Jerusalem to try and, and persuade these brethren, persuade these new Gentile believers, persuade the Jews who had trusted Christ, and to say, you still have to follow the law. You still need to be circumcised. And the word, the Greek word for secretly brought in, Perisago, which is the idea of its enemies sneaking in through, sneaking in secretly through a side back door to gain entrance into the city to get within its walls. So this is the idea. These are these guys are really trying to sneak in, and they're being secretive. They're doing. I mean, their intentions are completely bad. And the original, and if you read in context all the meaning of all the words that Paul is using in verse 4, everything about it shows that these guys felt that they could accomplish their goal of pressuring everyone to follow the law, to be circumcised. And these unsaved Jews, I think they believed about Jesus, maybe, but they didn't understand salvation through the cross of Calvary and through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so then they're, they're pointing to, still, this old system. You have to be circ circumcised. And their goal was that they would bring everyone into this legalistic system. The original word for spy out is that uh, they're spying out with hostile intent. So you're coming into an enemy territory, and your goal is to see the enemy territory destroyed. This is how they're coming in. They're, they're coming in secretly. The word bondage or katadulo means to reduce to abject slavery with a future tense, meaning these guys were pretty sure they were going to succeed in coming in and persuading these guys to follow the law. It's interesting because this example might not exactly correlate to what we're talking about, but I had a coworker who was a Muslim and I was sharing the gospel with him. And we had a lot of good conversations. And one of the things he told me is, um, we're, this is when I was a teacher's aide in Riverside, and he told me, you know, you know uh, what you're saying makes sense, but there are some questions that I have. So I, we, we talked and talked. But one of the things he told me is that there are Muslims that are being sent into Harvest, Greg Laurie's church, 
And all they're going in to do is listening to Greg Laurie to figure out what he's saying that they can use against him. So they're, they're trying to pick apart his words. And he, this is a Muslim buddy of mine telling me this, that he's telling me other Muslims are doing this. And I'm thinking, oh, this, I mean, wow. Like, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like, do I email Greg Laurie and tell him like, there's people in the crowd? Like, I mean, but um, it, it's interesting that there are those who are trying to distort the gospel of Christ. And he, it's happening even to this day. And in verse 5, But we did not yield in subjection, subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul understood the stakes. He understood the cost. When he was in Galatia, when he was preaching the gospel, they grabbed him and they stoned him. He knew the cost. He knew the stakes. It's, it's crazy because the Apostle Paul, after he was stoned, we know what happened when he was watching Stephen being stoned. But then the Apostle Paul was stoned. He walked up and continued to fellowship with the brethren. I mean, uh, if that's, that's a work of God. I mean, there's, I'm sure they weren't throwing little, you know, little rocks at him, like uh, you know, little pebbles or anything. I'm sure they're throwing big, big rocks. And in verse 5, as I read, they didn't yield in subjection to them for one hour. I think that's so important. Um, we are exhorted by our brother Steve Price in our discipleship uh, group that he said, you know, we need to be uh, diligent. And we need to be, you know, in, in terms of as brothers, we need to, uh, the elders, not we, the elders need to protect their flock. And uh, those that are in authority need to protect those that are under them. And I think this is sort of Paul's mentality here, is that I'm going to protect this. I know what the true gospel is. I know that circumcision is not supposed to be added to the gospel. And Jesus is the only way. So not even for one hour does he, does he wait to, to stop this. And then I just wanted to actually go back and read in Acts chapter 15, because I think it's important. You'll, you'll get the the gist or the context of what's being, what he's saying or what Paul is kind of combating here in Galatians in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1. This is a sort of an outside view kind of by the, the Dr. Luke who wrote Acts. And then in Galatians, we sort of get the inside view by the Apostle Paul. So there's a little bit of differences in how much information is given, but you'll see, I think, that there's, there's a lot of similarities. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. 
When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So we see here this argument that came up of circumcision. Was it necessary or not? Was following the Mosaic law necessary or not for salvation and sanctification? Verse 6 of Galatians chapter 2. But from those who are of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. While those who are of reputation contributed nothing to me. I think Paul is saying here that I received my marching orders from the Lord. These guys didn't really teach me or they weren't preaching to me. Everything that I got was from the Lord. So I really don't owe them anything. And they didn't really give me anything. And God shows no partiality. We're, we're not on different, different playing fields. There's no management level in the economy of God. And so as he's, as he's kind of making his point here, verse 7 says, But on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And verse 9, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. So, as, as you're looking at this and as you're seeing... The, this, it's not a, really a contrast, but Paul is saying that I was given the gospel to go to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews. This wasn't a strict hard rule because obviously if you, if you read in Acts, Paul is teaching in the synagogues all the time. So is Barnabas. So this isn't something that I'm only going to go to the Gentiles. He's also going to go to the Jews as well. And likewise, Peter, he's not staying just strictly with the Jews, but he has that dream where the, a sheet, he has a dream of a sheet where there's unclean animals, and he's told to go meet a man by the name of Cornelius. And we see the work that the Lord does in Cornelius' Cornelius's house. And so, this is, it, I mean, they were supposed to really go to all people, but 
for the most part, Peter was preaching to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. There isn't, I read that some people interpret this as there's a gospel, there was a gospel for the Jews where the law and circumcision was included, and then there's a, a gospel for the Gentiles that was different. That's not the case. We're talking about the same gospel here, folks. This is a, a gospel where I think my understanding is our brother Justin hit it hard this morning about what the gospel is, the importance of the gospel, and so I'm not going to reiterate, or actually, maybe I should. 1 Corinthians 15, I believe he mentioned, is that the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ was buried, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. It's very simple. And oftentimes, a lot of people like to confuse it, like these folks in Galatians chapter 2 that are secretly coming in and spying out the liberty that these folks have in Christ. And it's funny that this is something that um, Justin in his testimony will mention that kind of has stuck with me and I enjoy every time he shares it is that when he looks back at everything that he knew that would allow him to have salvation in what he was brought up in in the Catholic faith, he realized that when he got saved, that all that stuff was just adding to the work of Christ and saying, Jesus, you suffered on the cross for me. Jesus, you bled and died for me. Jesus, you rose again on the third day for me. But that's not enough. And I remember him saying that, I don't know, in his testimony or to me personally. I've heard it many times. But I enjoy that thought that, the work that Jesus did on the cross at Calvary is enough. That's it. There's nothing else needed for salvation. And the Holy Spirit working through Peter and Paul saw many people come to Christ. And I think that kind of justifies both of their works. That As one reaches out to the majority of the Jews and one to the Gentiles, that many people are coming to salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's, you read the pillars, and in verse 9 it says, Recognizing the grace that had been given to me, and we know how Paul was, his conversion, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars. And I actually, going back, I actually thought, I'm going to put Peter in front in how I mentioned them. But then I, I looked into it, and I think there's a reason why Paul mentions James first, James first. And there's four different reasons why that might be. Uh, the first reason is that out of respect for this church in Jerusalem and for one of their main leaders here, he, he's mentioning James first. Another is that uh, James was the brother of Jesus. And the third is that James presided at the Council of Jerusalem. So... Maybe Paul thought, I'm going to mention him first. Or the last is that maybe uh, because of James' strict following of the law, his observance of the law, Paul thought, now that he's deciding the law is not necessary for salvation, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe this is a, a kind of a good man to put at the forefront of what I'm trying to make, the point that I'm trying to get across. And so those are just a few reasons of why he might have mentioned James first. Um, and then the, it mentions that the right hand of fellowship. And in, back in those days, uh, that was sort of their way of uh, saying, um, 
I give you my backing. I give you my full support. And this is what James, Peter, and John were doing, that with the right hand of fellowship that they were giving to Paul and Barnabas, they're saying, we agree with what you're saying. And so this is, this is what the coming together of, of the unity that they're having is kind of like when we're in the Awana meeting and then no questions, everything, we've all cleared it up, we're all on the same page, all right, we're going to head into Awana and we're going to serve the Lord. Same way where Peter and James and John and Paul have kind of come to this agreement that circumcision is not necessary for salvation or sanctification and we're going to agree on that together. And now, you know, you go out and teach and preach as we have come in come into a, a, a fellowship with one mind. And then in verse 10, they throw in there, they only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. And this is something that it was, I mean, they were already doing this. They already understood the importance of remembering the poor. And, and the, the thought of this is that Paul and Barnabas, when they took off for their mission trip, they saw the condition of the, they knew the condition of the church in Jerusalem. They knew that they were hurting. They knew that they were being persecuted, that they, they were being martyred. And that, I mean, one of, it just kind of brings to mind what's happening with uh, that baker in Colorado who they're, they're trying to go after for not baking a cake for a homosexual couple. Like, they're coming after these, these people. And Paul and Barnabas, understanding the struggles that, those that were in Jerusalem were facing, I think what they were doing is they are trying to collect funds to bring back to Jerusalem, to help the saints in Jerusalem, to these Christians that were hurting, these Christians that were being persecuted. One of the, the reasons why I, actually, I love the book of Galatians and I love the study of the book of Galatians is when, I think it was in my early 20s, when I was working at the middle, middle school, I had decided to the Lord that I was going to share the gospel with as many coworkers as possible. And I didn't care if, you know, that might, you know, in a public school system, that might come back to haunt me. I didn't care. Before the Lord, I said, I'm going to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And one of the guys that I ran into, he... he He's a he's an interesting guy. He's a a German teacher, a German German PE teacher. Uh, well, that's just his you know his uh, motherland. He's really American citizen, but he's a, a German PE teacher, and uh, he he believes that you need to follow the law for sanctification. And so then I got I mean I I really started studying, you know what Scripture said about following the law. You know, what's important, what's not important. And you come to Galatians, and I feel like Galatians just clears it all up. You know, it's, it's very clear here. You can go back to Acts, and you read some things in Acts, but in Galatians, it's very clear. And I just want to encourage those that are here. The, that I mean, this might at times be, what's the point of this? Because, you know, I, I don't think much of the law or circumcision in terms of my salvation. But I think it's important to know that there are those who are out there who they feel that they, you still need to follow the law for sanctification. And I think Galatians is a good book to point to and say, look at, look at what it says in Galatians. So 
Hopefully you're encouraged by some of the thoughts here in Galatians chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can call you Heavenly Father. I thank you that we have this kind of access into your presence because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we don't have to follow the law and all the all the things that are in the law that would be make it so difficult. But really, the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. And Father, we're so thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for this letter, this epistle that uh, we've looked into a little bit this evening. And Father, I just pray that as we go here, go forth from here tonight, that we would understand what a great salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we not use any excuses. May we not put anything as a hindrance to our walk with you. Uh, sometimes we may, we may do something similar to what the Jews are doing with the law, where it's a, a handcuff, it's an obstacle. We use things in our lives as excuses. But Father, at the end of the day, we just want to say we want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and make him and promote him as much as possible. So this evening, we ask that you would give us wisdom and strength in knowing how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.